And I'm looking back behind me for the gator. And all I can think is get this fish out of the water. Right. And I reach down over the gunnel. I grab the fish with both hands on his bottom jaw and I'm leaning over the gunnel and he jumps. And when he jumps, I clock my forehead with both, oh, both hands yep. with the full force of a 70 pound fish coming out of the water a foot away. Jeez. And I knocked myself out from the force of the fish. Welcome to Big Fish Stories, the podcast dedicated to telling the real outdoor stories of adventure, hunting, and fishing. For the outdoors men and women who get lost in the stories around the campfire, this is the place for you. My name is Tyler Hendricks, located in the great state of Idaho, and today I got my good friend with me, world-renowned fly fisherman, <laughs> Mr. John Huber, and owner of Peekaboo Angler. General manager of Peekaboo Angler. General manager Angler. of Peekaboo Angler. But Should my, be owner. my baby. Yes, I, <laughs> I started Peekaboo Angler from scratch. Yep. So it is my baby. Yep. So you live kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I live in Peekaboo. Mm-hmm. Down by Silver Creek. You could nowhere. probably live wherever you want. If there's water and fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why Peekaboo? Why Peekaboo? Um, well, I came to catch him as a young man right out of college. Actually, it was coming. We were coming over here for spring break during college. Um, I had two roommates that were from here mm-hmm. in college. And so we'd come out and fish out here and did the old, let's move to Sun Valley for a year after college, mm-hmm. 31 years ago. <laughs> Reason behind it was snowboarding, skiing, fishing. fishing. 100% fishing. fishing. I've skied half a dozen days in my life, mm-hmm. maybe. Yep. Two days on Dollar, maybe. Mm-hmm. Three, four days on Baldy. That's mm-hmm. that's it in the 31 years I've been here. Wow. Yeah. I like uh, I like my water moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and how, how did you originally uh, decide to base your life around fly fishing? So, you know, I, I grew up fishing. Started fly fishing at about 14 years old. Didn't really have anybody to fly fish with. Mm-hmm. Nobody, none of my friends or family did it. And then when I moved here... I met people that did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my college roommate was a big fly fisherman, and that's how I got invited to Sun Valley the first time was my college roommate saying, mm-hmm. oh, you fly fish? you got to come to Sun Valley. So I came out here, fished the big wood, fell in love with the place, mm-hmm. moved here after college, and uh, did the Silver Creek thing where, right. you know, take that weekly trip to Silver Creek and get your <laughs> butt kicked yeah. and, and be intimidated and scared of the river mm-hmm. and, and humbled, and I did all that. And... Um, and that's why I love Silver Creek. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. The more I did it, the more I loved it. And, mm-hmm. and everything else kind of started becoming easier and easier. But Silver Creek never got easy and right. still isn't easy. Mm-hmm. And so so I like that. And I just was living up in Ketchum and Haley and, you know, doing that kind of college kid thing, post-college kid thing. And just kept moving south. And every every time I went fishing after work, I'd go to Silver Creek. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving to Peekaboo every single day after work. Mm-hmm. And then I just decided it's time to buy a home here. I've been here long enough and mm-hmm. I better buy something. And I started looking and I could afford Peekaboo mm-hmm. and that's where I want it to be. So it's kind of a perfect storm for me because Peekaboo is not for everybody. Right. You know, when I moved down there, that was 07. Mm-hmm. I was by far the youngest person down there. Right. You know, now there's actually kids that live in Peekaboo mm-hmm. and families and it's changed a lot. But yeah, being able to, to live in Peekaboo and fish Silver Creek whenever I wanted was was what kept me here. That's sure. awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and for people who don't know, we have two big river systems uh, mm-hmm. in our valley. We have Silver Creek and we yep. have the Big Wood. Yep. Um, and 
Silver Creek relies a lot on the flow of the Big Wood. Very much. Um, but tell me the big differences between the two. You obviously were hooked on fishing here from the Big Wood. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're very different rivers. Um, from a river standpoint, there's freestone rivers, which are rivers straight from snowmelt. Mm -hmm. Spring creeks, which are is upwelling water out of the ground from a spring. And tailwaters, which are uh, water released from a dam. Mm -hmm. Those are the three types of rivers. So freestone rivers and spring creek rivers are very different. Mm. Um, very different, even though the same uh, species of fish inhabit those places. Um, and the Big Wood is a tumbly river. It's a mountain stream. Um, if water moves fast, fish have to make quick decisions. Uh, the hatches are prolific. So after you've done a decade or two on the Big Wood, there's not much mystery left there. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Silver Creek is a slow, meandering, flat surface mm -hmm. with hatches of delicate little bugs that the fish analyze and the fish don't have to make quick decisions. They can get under your fly and follow it for 10, 20 feet, staring at it, trying to make a decision if they want to eat it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just very, very much more technical and harder and fulfilling, right? Mm -hmm. like, and that's what you love. That's what I love um, yeah. is, is, yeah, I'm a treasure hunter. I'm a pirate. I want to, I want to hunt for things. I want to look for things. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's fish, birds, metal detecting, rock hounding, arrowheads. I want to search and hunt for stuff. Right. And, and I think that's, one. that's probably a big difference between like, I, I made the joke the other day on this podcast that yeah. If, if, if I know a fish will bite a hot dog on the end of a hook, <laughs> I'm going to throw it in. And for you, it's, it's I need to know why hunt. he's eating the hot dog <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I need to match that hot dog. Right. You know, if he's eating a Nathan's hot dog, I need to match the Nathan's hot dog. <laughs> it can't be the Nathan's hot dog. That's right. It's got to be something artificial that matches. Exactly. That matches the Nathan's hot yes. dog, but doesn't match Oscar Meyer hot mm -hmm. dog because that's a different dog. Right. Right. So. right. That's funny. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, for me, it's just meeting the fish on its, at its level, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's what fly fishing is, is you're showing the fish, you're trying to imitate something the fish is already eating. Right. It makes it a little bit harder. Well, yeah. I feel like you're making the chess game more even. Yes. It's a little, um, little more fair And sometimes chase. you lose yeah. the chess game and you're okay yeah. with it. Yeah. On Silver Creek, you lose more often than not. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're usually on the losing end in mm. Silver Creek. But when you're on the winning end, it's just, it's the best, best right. thing in the world. Yeah. Right, right. And so you fish, you've, you've told me that you've fished the big wood literally from all the way up North, every section of water, all the way South. Multiple have, times. Have you hit that on Silver <laughs> Creek for sure? Yeah. I've hit all of Silver yeah. Creek. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Is, uh, do you have any specific stories that are good stories from either river system? From either river system? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like what's your biggest fish? Let's do, let's, let's sure. break it up. Sure. Biggest fish on the Bigwood River. What was the story there? My biggest fish in the Bigwood, that would have been probably, oh gosh, I don't even know, Tyler. Um, probably below the dam. Mm -hmm. um, I hooked a rainbow mm -hmm. that I did not land. It mm -hmm. still keeps me up at night. <laughs> I jumped it several times. Mm -hmm. It was I'm guessing 28 mm -hmm. and for a rainbow to hit that size here mm -hmm. is the only other rainbow I've personally hooked that big was on the San Juan river right. in New Mexico, which mm -hmm. is known for having rainbows that big, right? Big wood, not necessarily. Right, um, right. 
but that fish, that, that fish took a little piece of my soul down river Gosh. and never gave it back. <laughs> yeah, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that fish. I do think about that fish. There was another fish that was equivalent down by Sheep Ridge mm -hmm. that dumped my reel. Mm. Again, I didn't land that fish. It took all my line, Gosh. all my backing. It's the only time I've ever been spooled by a, yep. by a trout. You think it was a rainbow or a brown? I'm sure it was a rainbow because yeah. it was spring and they're moving up into that. It's pre-spawn gotcha. arm of the of the big wood. They're moving up into that canyon to pre-spawn. So I'm get, I'm assuming it was a rainbow. And everything right. else we were catching that day was a rainbow. Right, right. Uh, but that one beat me up. So, right. so yeah, my best big wood fish stories are fish I didn't land, right? right? <laughs> Those are the ones I remember. Right, I right. remember those two very much so. Do you have any uh, from Silver Creek that Silver. are massively bigger than? Yeah, I, my, well, my biggest fish landed on Silver Creek was a 28-inch female brown wow. that I got in the dead of winter mm -hmm. from the bank. I wasn't even wearing waders. My buddy was down there duck hunting right. and wanted, he was jump shooting and just wanted company. So yep. I just went and stood in the parking lot and fished while he was doing that. Right, right. And I, I got that fish. I think probably the most memorable fish on Silver Creek for me would have been uh, when I was guiding. Mm -hmm. I had a gentleman who I used to take fishing uh, every Monday. Um, Al, I can't remember Al's last name, but we went every Monday. Uh, Al, I think he owned a bunch of radio stations down in the south, Georgia, mm -hmm. Florida, that kind of thing. And he had a place up in Elkhorn, and he had had a heart attack on the Bigwood golf course mm -hmm. or the Elkhorn golf course on a Thursday mm -hmm. called me from this hospital bed on Saturday and said, John, we're still going fishing on Monday. Wow. And I told him, Al, we're not going fishing on Monday. There's no way. And he started screaming at me over the phone. John, I am not going to die in the hospital. If I'm dying anywhere, it's going to be on a trout stream and you're just going to have to deal with it. It's like, wow. Like, I guess, I guess I am going to have to deal with right, it if it happens. Right. So this is kind of pre-cell phone. I didn't have one. Mm -hmm. um, Al's wife had a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of the first people I know to have one. Wow. She made us bring the cell phone mm -hmm. <laughs> so that we could, even though there's nowhere down there to get service, but we, we had <laughs> Just it. Just make her feel So bad. yeah. So we got in the water on the darkest, nastiest summer day, mm -hmm. nasty thunderstorms rolling through all day, windy and cold and terrible. Mm -hmm. And we were hopper fishing. We weren't catching anything. We came around a corner, probably the deepest hole on the river, mm -hmm. maybe the second deepest hole on the river. I said, Al, yeah, I need you to put that hopper on that left bank right off that point, let it float out into the middle of the hole. Mm -hmm. Al made the cast. He wasn't a great caster. Gust of wind grabbed the fly, blew it completely to the other side of the river, mm -hmm. landed in the frog water, <laughs> and a hole opened up the size of a Frisbee. And wow. As soon as the fly hit the water. Yep. And the fish came up and ate it. And he landed that fish 29 inches wow. brown trout on a dry fly. That's amazing. In the daytime. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's literally the only fish we hooked, only fish we saw the entire day. Right. Was that fish. So, Well, with the amount of time that you're spending on Silver Creek, mm -hmm. I feel like you'd probably get to know the very specific fish that are in the specific holes. Some. Yeah. Um, I more so and you know when I they're was, not going to hit this one's not going to hit yeah I've, I've tried catching this one over and over or do you continue to try no when i was guiding full time i definitely would target certain fish mm -hmm. uh, not so much now i'm just in the store more i'm not guiding as much so i'm not face to face with those fish daily like i was mm -hmm. um i do remember being at the uh sign-in cabin right below uh, uh on the nature conservancy right fishing the river right below the sign-in cabin yep. and uh it was springtime 
and I knew the brown trout that lived there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were fishing a little PMD hatch and I saw a family of ducks coming down the river. Mm-hmm. It was mama with all her little ones and mm-hmm. they were maybe a week old. Yep. And I tapped my angler on the shoulder and I said, watch those baby ducks. Mm-hmm. They're going right over that brown trout. And no sooner than I said that than the last duck in line, oh, gone. Geez. Just sucked him down whole, yeah. vanished. The guy I was with was freaking out. Like, right. oh my God, like, I can't believe you knew that was going to happen. It's like, well, that's a, these big brown trout, they'll eat anything. Right. That's an easy target. So right. it wasn't a hard guess. Uh-huh. And then 20 feet down river, all of a sudden, little duck pops up, shakes himself off. He was too big for the trout to swallow. Gosh. So he spit him out <laughs> and he swam. Oh, I, this is a happy ending. Yeah, okay. happy ending. I watched him catch up with, with Mon, his siblings, yeah. and swim away. See, so. I'd be looking around the banks going, what yeah. looks like a baby duck that I can throw right in that area? Yeah, they're out there. There's duck, baby duck flies out there. Yeah. You can buy now. You can buy bat flies mm-hmm. and Tweety bird flies. I've seen them with with bass lures. I've seen, yeah. and it, they're pretty sad looking, but I've seen the baby duck lures for the bass. I haven't used them yet. Yeah. They're silly looking, but I, yeah. I've seen videos of people catching them with they, it. They eat them. That's <laughs> crazy. Um, they eat them. So now, you're, mm-hmm. do you find more fulfillment watching a beginner or someone who's just coming out, who's learning the mm-hmm. river system? finally catching, even if it's a small fish, finally yes. catching a fish, do you find more fulfillment showing them the way or leading them down that path? Yeah, I definitely get a, I get a ton of fun taking a beginner angler mm-hmm. and watching them catch their first fish. I That's love awesome. it. I love that. I also, at the same breath, I do like that angler that's accomplished, mm-hmm. that, that knows the starting and stopping points. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me, that's, you know, that defines a really good angler. Mm. It's somebody that just kind of knows when to start the day and when to stop the day. Right. That's a hard decision to make. You know, I'm horrible with right? the, stop, <laughs> the stopping part. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm out on the boat, mm-hmm. all my friends who might be with me are like, Tyler, please yeah. let's go. I can't do it. Yeah. But that's a, that's a good skill to have. It's yeah. It, it is. It's it's not an easy skill to have. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'm great at it, but mm-hmm. there every now and then I will I'll get a really good angler and just kind of admire the fact that, you know, they caught that one big fish. And they're done. And they're yeah, you know, the, it was a great hatch. The hatch is over. I caught a big fish. Yep. Great day. You know, they've checked all their boxes. You know, I did mm-hmm. finally have that experience. I went sturgeon fishing yep. for the first time uh last week. And I actually have a video that I'll be putting out of it. Okay. Um but we caught, uh, we caught five sturgeon with uh, on the snake within three hours, wow. and I was completely done. Yeah, it's like I'm day. not reeling in another <laughs> one of these. This takes forty minutes, and it's. Uh-huh. I, I mean, it was zero degrees, and I felt like yeah. it, I was I was boiling hot. Yeah, those fish will beat you up. Yeah, so that's been the only time I think I've 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 gotten that. But you've also gotten into some big fish. Yeah, um, out of state. Out of state, yeah. I fish a lot. Of, I've done a lot of saltwater fishing. Mm-hmm. So I lived in Miami for a few years. Um, you know, lately I've been on the marlin thing, chasing them with fly rods. But mm-hmm. um, heading back to the flats again this spring to go chase tarpon, permit, yep. bonefish, snook. What's um, your favorite fish to catch? Ooh, favorite fish? Probably snook. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? What is it about snook? Uh Snook are, they're, they're that, that saltwater bass, I guess, you know, they're, they're very structure oriented. They're an attack fish that they like to sit still, 
wait for something to swim by and they're very structure oriented. Mm. So I tell people all the time when they ask me, well, describe snook fishing. It's like, you know, it's the closest thing you're going to get to a fist fight with a fish. Mm. You know, it is mono a mono, like yep. who's going to win this? And it's 50, 50 every time you hook. Wow. So, especially if you're around structure, they mm. like to be under the docks. They like to be under the mangroves. Yep. Um, they're crazy, curious fish. Mm -hmm. They can be six feet under something and you could tap the side of the boat and they'll come out and figure, they want to know what made the noise. Really? And even scared, they'll eat your fly. Wow. You could spook them and on their way back to the, their cover, you could show them a fly and they'll eat it. So just crazy aggressive. They're, they can be crazy aggressive, mm -hmm. but when you hook them, it's no quarter, right? <laughs> like you can't, you give them an inch, you're, you're going to lose it. Wow. You're going to lose. So. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit uh, about that type of fishing. Um, do you have any so, specific stories that really will set the tone for what it's like to snook fish? Snook fish? Um, yeah, I mean, my, my first time snook fishing, uh, my very first time saltwater fishing, mm -hmm. my father and I went to the Everglades. Mm -hmm. uh, we were fishing um, for snook, tarpon, redfish, backcountry slam, they call it. And I... We went for two days without really catching anything. We were looking for big tarp and migratory fish. Couldn't really find them. And we, the the guide said, hey, I got this spot called the Wood River. Do you want to go look at that spot? <laughs> and as soon as the words Wood River came out of his mouth, like, that's my home water, right. the Wood River. It's <laughs> right. like, let's go to the Wood River. I have totally. a good feeling about this. Yep. So we go to the Wood River and we're not catching anything. And then the tide turns. And mm -hmm. in the salt, that's the game mm -hmm. is the tide. And when the tide turns, it was like somebody threw a light switch. Wow. And the bite was on. Hmm. And so, yeah, my first snook I hooked was, uh, the guide said it was maybe 18 pounds or something, Gosh. which is a pretty good size snook, yeah. especially for somebody who's never hooked it's one. a good size any fish. So that snook ran me up into the mangroves, hit hmm. the barnacles, broke off, hmm. rolled down the mud bank, back into the water, swam away. That continued to happen. For Went the, out of the water? Yeah, he swam under the mangrove roots which are full of barnacles, yep. which will cut your line like that. Right. But he swam through the roots onto a, like a mud bank that was exposed by the, by the low tide. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the line broke, the fish just rolled back into the water, Gosh, and swam away. Fish. So this happened multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, my first four snook that was happening. Wow. And finally, I think on the fifth one was, which was the biggest, I, I tried to turn the fish like I would a trout. Mm -hmm. I tried to turn them away from the mangroves. Yep. And I just hear this laughter behind me. It's like, what, what? And I turn around, the guide's laughing at me. His name was Tom. I said, Tom, what, what, why are you laughing at me, man? It's my first day saltwater fishing. And he just, in this very Southern drawl, just, John, you can't turn those fish, son. And it's like, he was laughing because I was trying to use a trout tactic yeah. on, a, right. on a big saltwater fish. Uh -huh. I was frustrated. I'm like, oh, Tom, what do I do then? Right. And he said, just grab the spool. Mm -hmm. When the fish gets a foot from the mangroves, grab the spool mm -hmm. and don't give him another inch. Yep. I said, is he going to, he'll break off. He said, he might. But he might not. But he might not. <laughs> but it's the only chance you got. Right. So I did that on my next fish. Yep. He, he hit the mangroves, got a foot away. I grabbed the spool. He did a little half jump and mm -hmm. turned around and came right back to me. Wow. And I landed him and it was about a 20 pound snook. And, Gosh. and then I proceeded to catch a tarpon. And then we spent the rest of the day trying to get a redfish for the slam that we never did. That's but, awesome. But that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and you make, you make what annual trips? Two well, times I, I lived in Miami for a couple of years mm -hmm. You know, I had worked at Lost River Outfitters here in Ketchum and, uh, Scott Schnebley who runs 
uh, Lost River Outfitters, some friends of his or somebody left a VHS tape of these guys from Texas mm-hmm. and they were throwing, was it, they were spin fishing. I think big spinner baits, top water spinner baits. Is yeah. that, am I saying that correctly? I don't, the yeah. one, you know, they grind yeah, the yeah. surface, spinner you know. Baits. Yep. Yeah. So these guys were throwing spinner baits in the mangroves mm-hmm. and the footage they had of these, these baby tarpon just blowing these things up. Right. I just rewind, watch, rewind, watch, wow. rewind. I couldn't stop. Yep. And so the first opportunity I had to go down there, I went mm-hmm. down there and with my dad and we did that. Um, and then subsequently I just moved back because I had to have more of that. So I drove my suburban from Ketchum to Miami and I stayed down there and I did that for two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and just did all kinds of crazy fishing down there. I had a, I I would target baby tarpon a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one story in particular that, that kind of is a little odd (laughs) in the sense that, um, I literally got knocked out cold by a fish Ooh. and uh, a real battle, a real battle. <laughs> um, I wasn't fighting the fish. Mm-hmm. So I was, I had been fishing the Everglades on my own and mm-hmm. kind of just trying to find spots and learning spots. And I found this river. I think it's the North river. If you look on a map of the Everglades, mm-hmm. um, I think it's called the North River is where I was. And I went to the very back of the river, as far upstream as you can get mm-hmm. before it, the river da- disappears into the mangroves. And then I I'd bring the boat back about, I don't know, a hundred feet from that vanishing point. Mm-hmm. And even though the creek kept going, you couldn't, you couldn't keep going. Yep. It was all overgrown. So I'd bring the boat back, you know, that hundred feet and I would turn it sideways and I would anchor it sideways. So the boat I was in was an 18 foot Maverick and I'm in a channel. It's maybe 20 feet wide. Mm-hmm. So I was basically blocking the river from the surface. Mm-hmm. So anything that swam by had to come under my boat, either direction. So I was in there with a friend of mine from college. Did you typically sight this fishing? Is all sight fishing. Okay. Yeah. These fish are rolling on the surface. These, gotcha. these tarpon. And they had, I'd found this river where they were going into the terminus of the river and vanishing into the mangroves. Mm-hmm. But every 20, 30 minutes, they'd come back out. Right. They'd look for some food and they'd go back in. Mm-hmm. This went on all day. So I'd pull in there first thing in the morning. So I pulled in there uh, with David Goodman, who lives here in Ketchum mm-hmm. or has a place here in Ketchum and Miami. And, uh, and then one of my friends from college and, uh, Dave was fishing and I said, okay, Dave, I want you to just, you know, face the terminus of the river, wait till you see the fish rolling towards you, make a cast. Mm -hmm. And it was just perfect. Fish came rolling out 10 minutes later, Dave threw a beautiful cast. He hooked up right away. Fish jumps. And this is probably a 70 pound tarpon. Fish jumps. And after it goes back under, I hear another jump behind me. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait. There's no tarpon behind me. And I look back behind me just in time to see the gator tail go underwater. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, shit. Yikes. This gator just came off the bank because he heard that fish jumping and now he's coming to get our fish. Right. (laughs) This fish is green. This Mm -hmm. fish is not tired. Mm -hmm. And I am screaming at David, bring me the fish, bring me the fish, bring me the fish, Uh screaming at him Mm -hmm. because I don't want to lose an arm. Right. And Dave... God bless him. He puts the screws to this fish <laughs> and he gets it right next to the boat. Yep. I'm looking back behind me for the gator. And all I can think is get this fish out of the water. Right. And I reach down over the gunnel. I grab the fish with both hands on his bottom jaw and I'm leaning over the gunnel and he jumps. And when he jumps, 
I clock my forehead with both oh, both hands yeah. with the full force of a 70-pound fish coming out of the water a foot away. Jeez. And I knocked myself out from the force of the fish. I hit my hit myself in the forehead hard enough. I landed on the floor of the boat. Uh-huh. Everything went black. It didn't last long. Yeah. Five, six seconds. I Did you snapped. still hold the fish? No, I had dropped the fish when okay. I hit my head. Mm-hmm. And the gator's still coming and the fish is still in the water <laughs> and I'm conscious again. And adrenaline's hit again. And, and yeah, adrenaline's hit again and I'm screaming at David again, bring me the fish. <laughs> he so, just witnesses you like yes. 10 minutes later waking up out of the yeah. bottom of the boat. It felt like 10 minutes, but it was literally 10 seconds. <laughs> right. But uh, he brought the fish again to the side of the boat and this time I grabbed the bottom jaw and I heaved the fish up onto the casting mm-hmm. deck and I jumped on top of the fish Went for the rodeo ride while the fish is bucking all over. You see the gator come under the boat. He clears the boat, goes under the mangroves, Mm -hmm. revive the fish and let him go. (laughs) That's crazy. It was, it was something, something else. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had to, I've fished a few uh, different waters in Florida that had gators in it. uh, And that was always a common thing to watch (laughs) out for. But eventually you just forget until you actually see one right in front of you. Oh yeah. No, I've got into it. I had, uh, I don't, you know what a push pole is. Mm-hmm. You might have to throw up a graphic. So mm-hmm. if a push pole on a, on a saltwater skiff, you have the casting deck yep. where you, the fly angler stands mm-hmm. and you strip your line. It's a big flat deck. Yep. And above the outboard engine is a platform. Yes. Okay. I've seen those. And then there's an 18 foot long pole that yep. you, when the engine is shut off, you pull through the skinny water. Mm-hmm. You're essentially pushing the boat with the pole. Right. So it's called a push pole. Um, so the push pole in the shallow water is your means of locomotion, right? Okay. Um, that's how you can move your boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're in these shallow water environments. There's places you can't fire your engine. You've got to push pole all the way out to deeper mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd gotten into this, uh, it was the same, it was the wood river mm-hmm. and I'd been going back there with frequency and people had told me that, you know, gators will recognize your boat. And mm-hmm. if you catch fish, they're really going to recognize your boat. <laughs> yep. And I had gotten to a point where I was starting to catch fish. Mm-hmm. So I was back there and I was catching snook and tarpon and occasional largemouth bass even. Mm-hmm. And um, this one particular gator took a fancy to my boat. And every time I showed up, he'd, he was there. Wow. And he'd follow me and follow me. And all he was doing was waiting for me to release fish mm-hmm. so he could attack them. Right. So, but I was getting tired of this. This had been going on for days now, mm-hmm. like this thing following me. And, yep. and he was getting more and more brave and, Eventually, he was underneath my pulling platform. He was right underneath me. Yep. Just sitting there waiting. He's your pet, waiting for you to give him food. He was my pet, but I didn't like him. (laughs) I didn't want this pet. You know? And so I I actually started throwing poppers at him and putting hooks in him and hooking him and fighting him. And he would just open his mouth and spit him out and come right back to the boat. He just didn't care. He was obnoxious. Um, So one day I decided it's time to get rid of this. And I don't know if it's legal what I did, but I took my 18 foot bush pole. I walked to the front of the boat. I lifted all 18 feet up over my head. Mm -hmm. I started bringing it down. And when it got halfway down, I gave it everything I could. And I popped him dead center Mm -hmm. right on the top of the head. And that gator went down about two or three feet. Mm -hmm. I thought, awesome. (laughs) Three seconds later, right back up, staring at me. It's like, oh, now he's mad. Son of a, okay. (laughs) So here we go. Back to the front of the boat. Push pull over my head slam it down as hard as I can. Yeah. And this time he grabs it. Wow. And now he's got one end and I've got the other mm-hmm. and it's on. 
because I cannot give up this push pull. <laughs> right. What do you this do without pull, it? <laughs> I, I'm screwed without it. Yep. And yeah, I literally, show you. I literally played tug of war with an alligator <laughs> over a push pull for five minutes until I won. He, he I don't know if I won. He gave up. I right, know, right. But, but I got my push pull back and Gosh. I got home that day. So. That's, <laughs> That's crazy. Totally yeah. different fishing than what, what we're used to here. Very I was going to ask, mm -hmm. so is it part freshwater, part saltwater? Because uh, if you have Yeah, the areas I was in, it was... Uh, it was brackish water, so mm -hmm. the water was changing. Um, gotcha. So it would change with the tides. Um, you know, on a big king or spring tide, mm -hmm. the salt water would push way back. Mm -hmm. But then it would also recede way back, and then it would fill in with fresh water. That's so cool. So you could go one day, and it would be all fresh water. Yep. You could go one day, it would be brackish. You could go one day, it'd be all salt. So you can catch largemouth, freshwater fish, and then redfish. Yeah, you could catch pretty much anything back there on any given day, depending on what the tide and the wind had decided to do. But that was still 20 miles inland from the, from uh, Florida Bay. So, right, right. So the tidal influence went way back in there. Right. But, so you went from 18-pound fish to 70-pound fish and then to marlin. Yeah. And lately I've been chasing marlin. Yep. How's that been for you? And is, this, is it common to catch all these fish on fly rods? Do most people use fly rods? Um, you know, I was actually surprised, um, going to Florida, I really, I, I just thought fly fishing, yeah. like you see all the magazines of the, you know, turquoise water and mm -hmm. fly angling. And, and when I got to Florida, fly fishing is very, very secondary. Mm. It is in the back background. Right. Like it's not, not up in the forefront. It is with Nahoma Assassin, you know, these places where people are chasing records with fly rods. Right. Right. Um, but in general, it was fly fishing was very secondary down there. Um, so, so, um, oh, just a little unusual. Yeah. Yeah. In that regard. Um, and would you say that that area is probably your favorite place to fish? Florida? No. <laughs> What's your favorite no, Florida, place to fish? Florida was just school for me. Yeah, yeah. I was just learning. There's too many people in Florida gotcha. for me. I, I, that's why I was going to say so different than where you live. Yeah. I eventually <laughs> left just cause I couldn't even, you know, when I fished the Everglades, Everglades parks a hundred miles long, 50 mm -hmm. miles wide. I would go 50 miles. So I'd be dead center of the park and I'd run 20 miles into the back country Jeez. and I'd still run into people. Gosh. That's you know, crazy. The only difference between me and them is I camped back there. I, I would, right. I would stay on the boat and put mm -hmm. my tent up on the boat and stay back there for a week. So at you're time. doing 50 miles on a boat. Yeah, on a little little skiff with my tent and some five-gallon water bottles. Uh, I had an Ocean Runner 150 on the back, so I could, I could do 25, 30 miles an hour if I had it gunned. Okay, that still would but take would, quite a while. Yeah, I was covering long distances. I, I'd have to bring – I'd usually bring 10 to 20 gallons of gas mm -hmm. extra yep. in, in tanks in the boat. Right. My cooler, my camping gear, my fishing gear. I had the boat loaded. Right. And I'd go back there and just camp. Yep. Um, I did a, uh, I learned this the hard way. I started bass fishing probably five years ago in my second and doing it um, at different clubs and, and competitions around here. Yeah. And we went to Waihe. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. We went to Brownlee. Mm -hmm. um, and I had never been on that body of water. I, uh, it was a two day tournament. And my boat maybe holds 15 gallons. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm watching these guys, you know, and I've never been on this lake, so I'm kind of watching where other boats are going sure. and maybe even following them a little bit. Sure. Uh, and I would say 20 miles off the dock, uh, off the launch point, 
I'm realizing that people are still going. <laughs> and I'm looking down at my <laughs> my gas gauge day one, uh-huh. and I'm hit about hitting that halfway mark. Yep. And I'm I'm like, I'm stuck. This is where I'm gonna be. Limiting factor. I only thought mm-hmm. that lakes like Hawaii and stuff like that yep. were that big where I'd need to pack extra tanks. Sure. I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Uh, I just put gas in the boat no matter what. Sure, sure. Um, but I can't imagine 50 miles. Oh, 50 miles. So when I was first learning that, um I I was in there right when handheld GPSs were starting to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have one. I, I had a map, um, literally a paper map. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go in the Everglades and I would go to a river mouth. I'd take a hard look at everything. I'd go back. Mm-hmm. The next day I'd go to that river mouth and I'd go another half mile, look at everything, go back. Mm-hmm. And I did this every day, back and forth, back and forth. And so I learned it. So I could do it without a map. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I just kept reaching farther and farther into the back right. country. And then one day I finally got myself, I got 45 miles back into the back country. I was in a place called the shark river mm-hmm. and I don't want to go there. No, <laughs> I never saw a shark in the shark river, but a lot of tarpon. Yeah. Um, but I'm sitting there, I motor back even farther from there, I believe. And I have an oil injection system on my boat that mm-hmm. I'm using. And an alarm if the oil yeah. is not happening. Well, the alarm didn't go off. Mm. And next thing I know, I hear bang behind me and then bang, bang, bang some more. Ooh. That was my engine blowing up inside the engine Shit. cover. So I'm now 45 miles into the back country of the Everglades. Nobody's coming to get you in the Everglades. Yeah. They tell you before you go in, they'll tell you, you know, there's no cell phone coverage, mm-hmm. at least in 1998, there's right. no cell phone coverage. You know, it's line of sight radio mm-hmm. only to the Flamingo boat ramp where mm-hmm. there's a ranger station, a little convenience store. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. You could get CETO mm-hmm. insurance if you're in Florida Bay or out in Biscayne Bay. You know, somebody's going to come get you with a phone call yep. or a radio. But in the Glades, you know, I, I just heard horror stories mm-hmm. of, of people getting stuck in the Glades and costing them you know, five, $10,000 to get right. out of there. Right. Because whoever's towing you out, it's naming their price, right? Right. You know, you're going to, if you're towing somebody. You're going to die some, or we'll tow you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to tow you a big, heavy boat, 45 miles with an outboard, mm-hmm. you're frying their outboard too. Oh, yeah. So you might be paying five grand and buying them an engine. Gosh. So you, you, it's a bad situation to be in. Right. The worst situation you can be in in, in Miami, as far as I'm concerned, the Everglades. Mm-hmm. Um should I have an alligator having your arm in its mouth or something? <laughs> right, right. So I'm back there and I'm now. You're 45 miles back. I'm 45 miles back. I've dropped anchor. That mm-hmm. I'm, I'm. And you just started fishing. It, no, I didn't. <laughs> I was still in panic mode. Uh, I was still trying to figure out what am I going to do? Yeah. I had CETO insurance. Mm-hmm. So I decided, you know, worst case scenario, I'm going to pull this anchor mm-hmm. and I'm going to ride the tide, the outgoing tide, 20 miles out to Florida Bay. <laughs> At which point I'll spend the night, mm-hmm. call Cito in the morning, and see if I can get a ride back to Flamingo. Um, so this, my wheels are spinning. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is how I'm going to save myself, and mm-hmm. and I'm taking inventory of food and water at this point because yeah. there's nobody back there. Right. And then all of a sudden, in the distance, faintly, I hear this motor. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh shoot, this is this is an opportunity. Yeah. And I see the skiff come, and it's obviously a guide with clients. Mm-hmm. And he sees me and he sees my engine cover is on top of my 
my, yep. my polling platform. So he knows I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. So God bless him. He beelines right over for me. Mm -hmm. says, what's wrong, captain? I said, I'm, I'm not a captain. I'm, I'm a fishing guide from Idaho. Yep. And I just blew up my engine. Mm -hmm. And he just went, oh, <laughs> you're <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. So unbeknownst to me, this guide, his name is Rob Fordyce. Mm -hmm. Rob Fordyce. 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 Okay. He's still, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. Mm -hmm. He's still one of the big, big names in fly fishing yeah. in Miami. He's big time down there. He's, uh, and the keys and the glades, mm -hmm. he's all over down there, but you know, uh, Big gnarly dude. Just, was he big at this time or did he become big? No, he was he was big then. Gotcha. Um, and the first thing he said, and this is Florida. Florida's different. Mm -hmm. It's not Idaho where you break down on Trail Creek Summit. Somebody's helping you. Right. These people are decision making. Right, right. Right. So Rob's he's looking at my boat. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know at the time what he's doing, but he is analyzing my boat. Mm -hmm. What he was doing was looking for a GPS. Right. And if I had had a GPS on board, I'm not getting help. Right. So he looks at me and he goes, how did you get back here? Mm -hmm. And he says it very much like that. How yeah. did you get back here? Mm -hmm. And I reached down and I picked up a map and I said, this map and this compass. Mm -hmm. And he kind of starts snickering mm -hmm. and he just goes, that's my map. <laughs> I was Ooh. like, wait, you, you have this map too? <laughs> and he says, no, no, no. That's my map. Uh -huh. I published it. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, I got the right guy. Right. And no he, kidding. next thing I know, he's on the radio and he's calling his guide buddy who's in the backcountry with him because mm -hmm. those guys know better than to go back there by themselves. <laughs> right. They go two at a time. Yep. So if something happens, they can get out. Mm -hmm. So he calls his guide buddy. Five minutes later, he shows up. They both rope up to me and they tow me to the nearest uh, channel marker. Mm -hmm. They drop me off. And I'm still, I'm still 40 miles from the boat ramp. Gosh. <laughs> and it's evening now. So they just took you five miles? Yeah. He just wanted to put me somewhere where there was a marker. Right. And he just told me, he's like, John, I can't tell you back without frying my, my motor. Right, so right. I understand, Rob, but thank you for getting me somewhere. Totally. That's recognizable to somebody. Mm -hmm. He said, when we get back tonight, we'll tell the park rangers you're out here and they might come and get you and they might not. I don't know what to tell you. Right. It's like, okay, but I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So he leaves and you can imagine that feeling. The sun is setting. Yeah. I'm in a broke down boat. The only human beings are motoring away. Right. Mosquitoes are coming out. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, just, su I'm surprised. Would this fly nowadays? Or yeah. Is it the same nowadays? It's probably worse now. Gosh. Um, but I was kind of freaked out. So I just decided, you know, I'm not going to give up getting myself out of this jam. Mm -hmm. So I ended up uh, unattaching the boat, the radio antenna from the boat. And I duct taped it to my rod case. Mm -hmm. I stood on the center console and I held it up as high as I could over my head. Mm -hmm. And I got on the radio and I actually got the Flamingo radio wow. ranger station. Mm -hmm. And I got this very scratchy back and forth. It was like a movie, just like right. boat <laughs> coming to yeah. get you soon. You're just like, hoping they can hear you. I'm hoping than they can, can hear, hear me, them. but I did hear somebody say they were dispatching a boat. Okay. Now I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Now I know I'm going to at least live through this. Right. So I put my tent up, get in my tent, because I know these guys are hours away. Mm -hmm. um, and two, three hours later, these two guys, probably in their 80s, showed up in this little mm -hmm. little tugboat-looking thing. Really? And they hook up to me, and uh, it's about 
1130 midnight. Mm -hmm. And they tow me back to the ramp at very low speed, yep. you know, because they don't want to fry their engine. And on the way back, I'm thinking into account, how much money do I have in my wallet? How much money do I have in my bank account? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if these guys ask me for five grand, I can get it to them, mm -hmm. but now I'm not getting home to Idaho. Right. You know, without staying and working, mm -hmm. which I had a job down there on the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, but that was now it. I'm blue because right. now I'm thinking Miami's over and I'm going back to winter in Idaho. Right. And I was sad. Mm -hmm. And we pull up to the boat ramp at three in the morning or whatever. And they help me load my boat onto the trailer. And mm -hmm. I pull my wallet out. It's like, okay, guys. What, what is it going to be? What is it going to be? Mm -hmm. And the guy looks at me and just goes, we just did that for fun, Captain. You have a good night. Wow. Like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Said, we, we just didn't have anything else to do. We thought it'd be a fun adventure to come get you. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Wait, but I owe you guys money. No, you don't owe us anything. We just did it because we we wanted something to do. Crazy. Like, okay, can I buy you dinner? Fuel. Nope. What about the fuel costs? You know, I was going to come back and buy him dinner at the lodge the right. next night. No. And it's like, yeah, can I fill your boat? Can I fill your tank? Right. Nope. Crazy. You have a good night. They just kept saying, have a good night, Captain. Yep. I drove back to Coconut Grove and, well, and that's, got a new engine. That's similar to, you know, the, the, um, friendships and camaraderie that I feel like fishermen have here, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to boats being broken down on a or Brownlee sure. or some of these American falls reservoir is a great example. Sure. Uh, if you're, if you're stuck in the middle of that, yeah. um, and if you see anyone, like I I've, I've been conditioned to with all the mentors I've had in bass fishermen. Yeah. If you see someone with the cover off of their engine, yeah. you go check and see what's Always. happening. Always. Um, and I don't know how it is over there if if wind's a factor or anything like yeah. that. But American Falls, if uh, if you're trying to get across the lake yeah. and the wind's kicking up, it's a dangerous situation. Yeah. Sure. And even if the wind's barely blowing, sure. the waves can get three, four foot. Yeah. Uh, and in these little bass boats, yeah. you could be in big trouble. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome to hear that that's how they were. I was shocked that the other guys were like, See ya, but it's nice that they got you. Too yeah, I mean, I, I totally understood. They had clients in their boat. Totally, you know, they weren't going to drag their clients back at right. five miles an hour all right. the way back and show up at the boat ramp at midnight. They had to get their people back. Right, and, and I get it. It's still a scary situation leaving you out there. Like that, that. was that was super scary. But yeah. at the same time, after after it was all done, I was like, okay, I'm not scared of the Everglades anymore. Right, I I think I I can handle this. Mm -hmm. And then I started really going deep into the Everglades. So you went, you went after that? Oh, after that, I started going way deeper. Were you bringing like second motors? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was out there one night. I was staying on an, I was camping on an Indian shell mound, mm -hmm. you know, so the Indians, I guess it was the Seminoles, yep. would, you know, oyster, they eat oysters and clams and mm -hmm. conch. And there was so much of that stuff yep. that they would pile it up. And, you know, a hundred years later, there's soil on top and trees growing on it. And, wow. and the, the park service made it into campgrounds mm -hmm. and, and they only room for one or two tents. Mm -hmm. I was staying back there one night and uh, we went to bed right at dark because we were so whipped from fishing. And some guys showed up, um, three guys showed up and they were just being loud as hell mm -hmm. and sitting around the campfire drinking. And I looked at my friend and was like, you know, this is one of those can't beat them, join them deals. Right, right. You know, there's no telling them to be quiet. We're yeah. sharing this space, you know, it's yep. a tiny little space. 
So well, I just went some drinks and uh, yeah. So I went and sat at the campfire, and turns out they were having a moonshine contest. The three of them all made <laughs> their own moonshine, and they wanted us to judge who made the best That's moonshine. Awesome. And then the craziest part of all of it is they asked where we were from, and I yeah. told them, and they said, "Do you know Jim Dutcher?" Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Jim. No. He was Jim's the one that did all the wolf studies up in Stanley. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And he had a house right right here north of Ketchum, mm-hmm. and he would bring the baby wolves down to acclimate them to people, right, so that right. he could study them as adults. Mm-hmm later on. So these guys all went to school with Jim Dutcher. Crazy. At the time I was dating his caretaker. So it was just kind of this weird, like, you know, six degrees of Sun Valley deal. Yeah. yeah. But that, you know, that was kind of funny. And I actually did see one of those guys uh, the next morning was washing his frying pan at the end of the little tiny dock they mm-hmm. had there. It's like a canoe dock, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was doing the swishy back and forth thing, rinsing it. Yep. And watch this gator just come Ooh. up. <laughs> tried to get him. And he pulled it back just in the nick of time. It was just like, Wow, man, like this place is for real. Yeah. It's so crazy. You don't take the Everglades for granted. There's this uh, uh, popular YouTube video out where this guy, I believe he's um, pulling uh, um, like crawdad, uh, crawdad oh, yeah. traps. Sure. And it's him and his son in a little kayak. Yeah. And he grabs one of the buoys and he starts pulling it up and he goes, oh, we might have a catfish. And he pulls up and it's just a gator head. <laughs> Um, a gator head and he immediately drops it, yeah, freaks out and starts paddling away, cursing his son, screaming. Yeah, I bet. Uh, and yeah, that's, man. I don't feel like that's the, uh, the life for me. I'll do it yeah. every once in a while. I'll sure. go fish in those areas every <laughs> once in a while, but that freaks me out, man. Yeah. It's wild stuff. That's cool. I always, wild and I'm always stuff. telling people, um, that this area somehow is connected to the world Yeah, because you can find someone across the country, across always. the planet that knows that you only have like two degrees of separation with here. Always. Um, and that's another reason I yeah. love this area. Yeah. I, that six degrees of Sun Valley chases me all over the world. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I was in a fish fry in Eleuthera in the Bahamas in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> One of the local realtors here walks up by me. Hey, John, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> the hell are you doing here? I thought I was in the middle of nowhere. Right. So. I'm trying to get away from all you people. Yeah. So there's, it's hard to get away from people. Right. So actually today, my cousin and I booked uh, airplane tickets for May. Mm-hmm. We are going to the most remote island of the Bahamas and we're going to the most remote spot on that island. We're mm. going backpacking in the Bahamas. Wow. So we're going to go do about 20 miles down a beach. That's awesome. Yeah try and fish some areas that I've been told haven't been fished for years, if ever. Wow. So that'd be, I'm so you're sure. packing the places that people haven't fished. Yeah. That's, that's always kind of been, what my, kind of fish are you catching? Uh, this, that trip, we're going to be looking for permit mm. primarily bonefish and tarpon. Yep. But, but, uh, all, all on foot. So. Out of all the fish that you've, um, that you've caught all the different species, mm-hmm. what would you say is the, the most challenging and, also the most rewarding when you did catch them? Um, the most rewarding was Marlin. Marlin. I'd never thought that was in, in the cards for me. I'd always dreamt of it. And you fly fish for Marlin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to tell me a story about them. You know, that's, that story is almost, you know, the first time I went Marlin fishing, it's a little bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was trying to get over some heartbreak that you, you know about. Totally. Um, so there was a, a lot of, um, I just had a lot of pent up emotion at that time. Right. So it's just a really crazy time for me. Um, but I had decided through all this saltwater stuff, when I had first gone to, to Florida, it was 
it was that snook and that ma- it was that mangrove thing that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The flats are fun and the blue water's fun, but it was the mangrove environment that mm-hmm. really, really got me. And that snook fishing really just got me. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I have to be in this environment. I have to be in this environment. And so when I came home from that trip, one of the first things I did was w- try to figure out where is the nearest mangrove environment to Idaho. Mm-hmm. And it's not Florida, it's Baja. Okay. And it's the southern end of Baja, Magdalena Bay. Mm-hmm. And Mag Bay has got, you know, it's a massive bay. It's bigger than San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. And it's mangrove line. It's got mangrove rivers and creeks and it's, uh, Pacific snook, mm-hmm. white snook. Um, so my friend and I thought, you know, let's let's go down there and chase these snook. And I know it's marlin season down there. And maybe there's an opportunity. Who, right. who knows? Let, let's just go. Mm-hmm. So uh, my friend Nick Price and I, you might know Nick. He's a photographer yeah, and yeah. guide here in town. Uh, he and I went down. We travel a lot together, and uh, we did three days of snook fishing, very unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick got a golden trevally, which was exotic and cool, and we Ooh. thought that was neat. Yeah. And we came back at the hotel, and uh, there was four young European scientists there, mm-hmm. marine biologists, and they were winding up their trip. On, they were on their last day, and we asked them, you know, what, what are y'all doing here? They said, we've been out in the blue water recording the sounds of marlin on bait balls. <laughs> wow. It's like recording this, you know, just so foreign to me. It's <laughs> right. like, like, were you able to do this? And they said, oh yeah, you know, Captain Aldo here, he would motor us right to the Marlin every single day. It's like, <laughs> what do you mean right to him? <laughs> you know, one right. of the guys is like, he put us on the Marlin all day, nonstop. Wow. Feeding on bait balls. And you could get in the water with these Marlin that are feeding on bait balls and watch it happen. And they don't care. You can. Crazy. I mean, I have, I released one of these fish diving with mm-hmm. it. Um, but the, the the whole thing was just a little out of our realm. Like, I just didn't think it was something possible. Right. You know, trout guys in the blue water yeah. with marlin and fly rods. Like, the kite string in the ocean, like, this doesn't compute, right? Totally. <laughs> like, well, what's the, uh, like, do you have to have your own gear or do you have to ask them, like, what do I yeah. use for we marlin? Had, we had brought gear. We had brought tarpon gear, the yeah. biggest stuff we had, mm-hmm. which wasn't quite big enough. Right. But big enough. Right. Um, and so uh, we talked to the guy that helped us put the trip together. And he said, you know, Captain Aldo will take you guys out there tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, let's go. Right. And uh, I actually wrote about that trip in the Drake magazine. It was Ooh, a feature okay. story last winter. Awesome. Um, and Nick did all the photography underwater and everything. Yeah. It's beautiful, yep. beautiful, beautiful photography. But we went out there and, uh, um, yeah, the very – we got out there 23 miles out or something and Captain Aldo turned off the boat and mm-hmm. looked at his watch and he said, 15 minutes. <laughs> I said, well, what, what's in 15 minutes? He said, the Marlin are here in right. 15 minutes. <laughs> and there, is there anyone else out, th- out no, there? No, you're, you? you're on the blue water and How's 30 miles offshore. And it's like, he's just how, been doing this forever? how do you know this? Yeah. Yeah. He grew up, he grew up on that gotcha. water, you know? Um, and Sure enough, it wasn't even 15. It was probably seven, eight minutes later. Marlin, 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 Marlin everywhere you look. And bait, and they're ripping through the bait. And here comes the sea lions and the sailfish. And now the ocean just comes to life. And it was just waiting for the light to get right so these fish could push the bait balls to the surface and Mm -hmm. pin them against the surface and start ripping through them. Mm -hmm. I think I hooked up on my first cast. I think I lost that. I lost quite a few of my first view because I just didn't have the courage to really right. buckle down on these fish. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And can you pull them in by yourself? By yourself? Do you have to switch off with someone? No, we we were fighting them. We were taking turns um, mm-hmm. fighting our own fish. But right. we would when when our reel started getting dumped, we'd fire up the engine and follow the fish and yeah. put line back on the reel. Yeah. We were we were doing about forty five minutes to an hour per fish. Wow. Um, and I think the first day we hooked seven of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a picture of the first one. I actually took it out of the water and, and got a picture. That one was, yeah. you know, well over a hundred pounds. Gosh. And the next one was kind of the one that got me because, mm-hmm. you know, I'd been, like I said, having some, some personal issues at the mm-hmm. time, uh, suffering from some loss. And, mm-hmm. um, I landed a fish and it was a, probably the biggest one I got. It was probably approaching 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. And Nick had underwater housing for his camera mm-hmm. and he's a professional photographer. And Nick said, Hey, John, you want to get in the water with this one and release it? I was like, yeah, I th- think I do. Mm-hmm. And at the time I, I didn't take sharks into account. Mm-hmm. I didn't take the fish getting violent into account. Mm-hmm. I just thought to myself, this is something I need to do. Right. Um, and, and I, Nick suggested it and I got in the water and I grabbed the fish by the bill and started swimming. Gosh. And the next thing I know, I can see Nick a few feet underwater and I just dove down, took the fish with me. Yeah. I saw the color start coming back into the fish and I, I let him go underwater mm. holding him. It was that, that to me was incredible. That's awesome. And it was a big release for me. It was right. a huge release and, mm-hmm. and it, it was an emotional release. And, right. And I felt bad because I got back on the boat and I had tears in my eyes, right. you know, and, right. and the, uh, you know, the mate and the captain, you know, they're, like, Mexican guys are very machismo and, yeah. you know, and they don't, they don't want to acknowledge the fact that this angler has tears in his eyes. Sure. And, um, but I had to, I went and explained to them, you know, these are tears of joy. Boys. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> right. I didn't explain to them the, the bigger picture, Totally. but I explained to them, you know, what I was going through mm-hmm. to an extent that this, this was something, this was a lifelong achievement for right. me, you know? Starting as a little kid catching crappie mm-hmm. and finishing in the ocean as an adult with a fly rod on a marlin. Like, come on. Like, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's full circle for me personally. Totally. I can't think of a better way to round out my fishing career, I guess. Right. Absolutely. So, and do you feel yeah. like, you know, there's there's a lot of people who I find who have a lot of life struggles and a lot of things that they have trouble releasing. And I, yeah. I have you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm none of those things, but I know that when I'm outside, when I'm outside in the wild experiencing these things, sometimes there is that release and you can, you can experience some form of being able to let go and experience true sadness, true anger, true happiness. You can experience all of those things. Uh, unlike, uh, think in a way that you can't when you're sitting at home watching TV. Yeah. Yeah, it's a form of purity. Yeah, it really is. It, it it it's a it's a it's a quick look back at your childhood when things mm-hmm. were pure, right? Right. And uh, fishing, I think, provides that. It gives you that that glimpse at your childhood, mm-hmm. playing in the water and playing with bugs and right. putting bugs in jars and stuff. Adults don't do that unless you fly fish. <laughs> and <laughs> you're you, looking at all the bugs, and, and then you do all that weird kid stuff. Yep. But I think that is kind of there. There is a relation to that release mm-hmm. in the sense that you're going back to that kind of that pure spot in your mind where things are all okay, right? right. Like everything's right with the world when you're a kid most of the time. Mm-hmm. And fly fishing or fishing in general can bring you back to those moments as a mm-hmm. kid where everything's kind of pure. And so 
having those moments definitely helps you release things. Right. But, you know. And I feel like it leads. Cleaning your slate, right? It, right. And, and when you come back from a moment like that, what mm-hmm. does that feel like coming back to this type of environment and back to, oh, back to the regular fishing? Did you feel a sense of renewal? Yes, 100%. I, I felt, um, and still, I feel um, the sense that I appreciate what I have more. Mm-hmm. I appreciate Silver Creek even more. Mm-hmm. I appreciate trout even more. I appreciate the high country even more. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate what I know mm-hmm. because going to the saltwater without any lessons, you know, going to Miami, not knowing anything, just right. making it up as I went along and getting my ass kicked daily, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. But then when I get back here, it's like, oh my God, I know so much about this place. <laughs> like, right. like I'm an idiot over there, uh-huh. but I know my P's and Q's over here. Like right. I get it. Yep. So yeah, I definitely coming back from these adventures and things, it does definitely makes you feel, makes you appreciate what you have here. Right. And the knowledge base that you have here. And, yep. And you know, the natural world we have here, we're, we're, we're lucky. Oh my gosh. I've been all over the world, Tyler. Mm-hmm. It's a fly rod. And you know, there's, there's a lot of remote places with cool fishing and this is one of them. Right. We have population here, but you can go 20 minutes any direction and not see anybody. You know that. Totally. You can go fishing all day here and not see anybody if you want to. Right. Well, and you know, the Silver Creek water is world renowned. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but there's lots of waters in 30 minutes in any direction, like you're saying, yeah. that nobody knows about that we can always sure. go and explore yeah. and find new holes, new experiences. Always. Um, and then spring runoff will come and make it all new again. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so. I mean, the Bigwood River. Last time I, I went and filmed you on the Bigwood River, yeah. uh, you were walking down a sheep bridge area where you yeah. hadn't been for a while. And you're yeah. like, this is totally new. <laughs> yeah. And then I yeah. even, you, the wheels were turning. You were going, I'm going to have to fish this whole stretch now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the spots where I knew the fish were, yeah, are, were all different. Everything's now. changed now. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. It's it's a it's a cool place that we live. And um, and we haven't even talked about uh, bird hunting. Yeah. For you, bird hunting is a big deal. Big deal, yeah. Uh, do you feel like you started off fly fishing? Were you also yeah. bird hunting at the same time? No, I didn't start bird hunting until I got back from Miami. Gotcha, okay. Um, do you feel like that was like, this is a new thing I'm going to dive into. Um, sort of, you know, my cousin that lives here, Mike Widar, um, he, he was bird hunting as we grew up. Mm-hmm. I, not me so much, but I started watching a show on PBS called hunting with Hank. Do you remember that show? Sounds hunting, super familiar. Hunting with Hank was a dude from Oregon that had a English setter okay. named Hank, even though the actual English setter in the show was not Hank, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> but it was one point of hate. It was a classic kind of hunting show, okay. you know, where the guy wore his, you know, his oil cloth and mm-hmm. he had just the classic English setter that gotcha. was well-trained and they just went to cool spots mm-hmm. and hunted wild birds. And, and at that point I just got obsessed with English setters, mm-hmm. um, even more so than bird hunting. I was the breed. I, I just like, wow, I just, I, I'm just now in love with this breed mm-hmm. of English setters. So I'm now on my third English setter. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I took up hunting and now I run a hunting club and I mm. guide hunting, waterfowl. I'll never forget the Winston. Winston, greatest dog in the world. Best man. dog ever. Yep, best dog ever. Yeah. Yep. It's, that's, that's a tough one, man. Yeah, I miss yeah. that dog. I still have two incredible dogs. Right. But 
but Winston was over. Was he the original for you? He was my first one. Yeah. yeah. He was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Back in the day, uh, for those who don't know, I used to film John Huber every week. Every week. We would do the fishing report and Winston was just, <laughs> Winston became more famous than John did for yep. the fishing report. Oh, for sure. Because it had to have him on every shot. Oh, for sure. Uh, when I was working at Catch Him on the Fly, I had tourists that regularly <laughs> came to the store that never fished a day in their life and never were going to fish a day in their life. Yep. But they came to see Winston. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. They didn't care about me or fly fishing. They, right. But they knew that that dog was in there. Mm -hmm. and he was just a lover. So. Oh, yeah. And so cool. Yeah, he, he was a hell of a dog. Yep. Great dog. So what's your bird of choice? Bird of choice? Oh, gosh. Probably sage grouse. Sage grouse? Yeah. Unfortunately, we only get to shoot one a year now. But still, just going they, to Are they pretty easy to find or hard to find? I know um, they're pretty protected. They're, they're not that hard to find, mm -hmm. but when we hunt them, um, or, or at least when I hunt them, um, we're, we're trying to, sh since you can only shoot one, you want to pick the one we're, you're trying to pick the one. Mm -hmm. And we're, so we're trying to pick the big roosters, mm -hmm. the big cock birds. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I like to collect the fans off the back of the birds. If mm -hmm. they're big, mature birds, yep. I'll save them and shadow box them. You know, what's crazy is I, it's weird because I don't think I had ever seen one yeah. and maybe I had, but I just didn't look closely, yeah. but I finally saw my first male maybe six or seven years ago. Yeah. And when I saw it, I was like, is that a turkey? Yeah. I just, <laughs> exactly. could, I was like, we have, there's a turkey here. Yeah. We don't have turkey uh, for those sure. who don't know. We don't have turkey here. Uh, and I was shocked, like con convincing all my buddies who were, <laughs> there's a turkey on that mountain. And they're like, there's no turkey. There's a turkey over there. Mm -hmm. It's just my first time seeing a rooster sage. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. And there was a cool looking bird. Yeah. I just love the environment they live in, you mm -hmm. know, that high desert. Yeah. And grouse in general. I like blue grouse too, just because yeah. you know, it's fun to hunt the forest. And, right. You know, we're, we're so used to hunting farmlands mm -hmm. and you know, ridge tops for chuckers and things. It's just a different atmosphere. Have I told you my grouse story? I don't think so. Um, okay. Well, this is a great place to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was hunting elk archery uh -huh. and I had chased this herd way up into the back of, um, an area where there's tons of boulders. Gotcha. Um, and it was at the, it was just at the top. It was, we were just getting to the point where we were above tree line, but I was still right on the verge because I was still yeah. trying to stay in the forest. Um, and I'm side hilling this super steep slope. And all of a sudden I start hearing noises, um, like little, just little scratching little, uh, but to me, it sounded like there was something big coming towards me mm -hmm. and I've been making elk calls here and there. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, that bull is finally interested. Yeah. And so I hunkered down. I'm almost getting on, I'm almost on my belly belly crawling to try to get to the nearest tree so I can get in front of it and, and position myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm slowly moving, slowly moving. And I'm hearing this rustling. Now it's, it's bigger, it's bigger and it's closer. And I can, I'm looking through the forest and I can see all the way to the ridge through the forest and I'm not seeing any elk. And so I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I finally just slowly creep up and stand up. And as soon as I do, it had, and I'm not even exaggerating. I'll even downplay it. At least a hundred grouse <laughs> shot up in all directions all around me and scared the living shit oh, out of me. It. Um, for those who don't know, they make a really loud noise. And if you're sneaking yeah. through the forest, the heart uh, attack bird. Oh yeah. I, I <laughs> couldn't believe it. And a hundred of them all at once. And yeah. then they all perched up in a tree above me. And oh, I, wild. I was taking photo after photo, sure. uh, trying to prove to people. Yeah. I just saw a hundred 
grouse up in this area. And I have a feeling they all just kind of funnel up uh, from that canyon. They all probably funnel up there and they roost and they all go down. Um, But yeah, it's finally like it finally started getting my wheels turning where um, if I'm, uh, you know, if I, I don't know, I don't know if this is legal. Oh, well, Uh, when I, when I archery hunt for mm-hmm. elk, uh, if I find a grouse, I'll I'll pack a field point sure. and take home grouse for dinner. Yeah, yeah. It's completely legal. Okay, good. Because yeah. <laughs> they're delicious. Yeah, you got a hunting license, you can shoot a grouse. Sweet. Yep. Um, do you do any chucker or anything like that? I do chucker. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of chucker, Hungarian partridge, quail, pheasant, pretty much all of them. If yeah. it, you know, that was one of my my points of pride with Winston when I still had him mm-hmm. was, was he literally got every species of bird in Idaho, mm-hmm. every species of game bird and waterfowl that exists in Idaho. He got them all. Yep. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Really cool. I've been seeing a lot more quail yeah. coming back into the Valley. A lot more quail. All these uh, gentle winters we've had. Of yeah. Bellevue early. area. Yeah. Uh, they've been all under my yeah. parents, like pine trees and stuff like sure. that. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of chucker up in that area too, which yeah. I was surprised about. Yeah, just these mellow, mellow winters and springs we've been having. Do you think this winter is a mellow enough one that they'll still be good? Yeah, and really, what happens in the spring probably dictates more what happens. Okay. You know, deep snow certainly beats them up bad, yeah. but you know, bad. I think bad rain in the spring is even mm-hmm. worse than a long winter. Gotcha. You know, if, when they have a brood on the ground, if they start getting soaking wet every single day, they're not. They're not going to make it. Right, right. But then they just re-clutch and, you know, mm-hmm. they'll keep trying until it gets too late in the season. So do you guide people for birds? Uh, I do. We have a, we just started a hunting club down in, in Peekaboo this last year. We just finished our first year down there. Awesome. So, What's that look like for someone who's never done it? Are they hiking um, like, are they hiking uh, like high mountains or? No, we're, we're doing canned birds. Gotcha. You know, we're, I'm raising chuckers I think oh I, cool I, I got raised 1600 chuckers from day olds last year awesome and then i get adult pheasants and we just release them yep, yep. And, and hunt them that way but 80 percent of them go wild right yeah we've we certainly don't you're shoot re, more than 20 percent idaho yeah and actually you know fishing game loves it because yeah. we're at, adding to the chucker and pheasant population right 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 and, you know not a lot of those birds make it through but mm-hmm. everyone counts yeah so and they do go wild if you don't shoot them they'll they'll they quickly adapt to, right. you know, this is the surroundings they want to be in. Right, right, right. So it doesn't take much for a, even a pen raised trucker to adapt. Right. So. Well, and for those who don't know, it's a great way to actually start getting into the sport yeah. is, uh, go experience, go experience what you're offering, yeah. um, show people the ropes and then they can run into the mountains and yeah. do it themselves. Yeah. I actually learned to grouse hunt without a dog. Wow. I, I hunted a year without a dog yeah. just because you can hunt blue grouse without a dog in Idaho and, be, mm-hmm. and you can do it successfully. Right. So that's a good way to go before you want to make that full blown commitment. Right. You know, you can, you can just go hike some of these avalanche shoots in mm-hmm. the summer or in the fall and shoot a few grouse and decide yeah. if that's something you want to keep doing. And you got any good, uh, good bird stories from any clients that, uh, may needed a, a gun lesson or two. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go down that road. I, I've had a few barrels pointed at me and never, never. I just imagined because I just imagined the rage face that you make if that ever happens. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen how short my fuse can be. Oh, I've, I've heard about it. I've heard, heard about of, it. Of a short fuse when, well, you've told me, you've told me yeah. stories of, you know, you'll be enjoying a perfect fishing experience with your guy and then all like with someone you're guiding and everything's going awesome and peaceful. And then all of a sudden a drone's flying overhead. Oh yeah. 
Not a fan. That guy's got to run away quickly. Not a fan. Yes. <laughs> if you're flying a drone over my head and I don't know you. Unless I'm, it's me. I'm going to come find you. Unless it's and we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's you, of course. I mean, you you can always fly drones. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. I, I kind of have a short fuse. And yeah, I, d I don't know if I want to get into the details sure. about um, people that have pointed guns at me before, <laughs> but I've yelled at a few adults and made a few grown men cry <laughs> from just getting yelled at like I was their father. Right. Um, hey. But, Whatever. It's someone pointing a gun at it's you. It's life and death out right. there. Yeah. I'm, yeah. You don't take that lightly. And if no. you do take it lightly, you need to go do something else. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. For sure. That's awesome. So yeah. what does the future look like for you? Future? You got any big plans? Uh, I know you're planning on doing the yeah. trip where you're hiking to where no one's yep. fished. We're going extremely remote in yep. May. Um, and then just come back. We we have our, you know, in Peekaboo, we have our huge opening day. Mm-hmm party at peekaboo angler cool which for us is really a celebration of fly fishing mm. i'm by no means are we doing that to try to make money we want to make money because we sure. gotta keep the store open right yeah um but in the same breath we we do it because we want to celebrate fly fishing mm -hmm. it's not it is opening weekend and even though our big party's friday night before fishing starts mm -hmm. yeah so only it, a few hours before fishing yeah only starts. a few hours because you can start at midnight so mm -hmm. uh we'll have bands and food trucks and vendors you know all the fly fishing companies will be there mm -hmm. you know it's kind of a fly fishing fair expo kind of thing yeah and that really coincides with the brown drakes which yeah. keep coming off earlier and earlier mm -hmm. and even the brown drakes you know when i started fishing brown drakes i was a guide hatch and, mm -hmm. you know the, all the only people you ever saw down there was 12 fishing guides at night right and now it's hundreds of people if not thousands and right um, but we celebrate it. We yeah. don't, we've, we've gone away from this whole, this is my spot and my fish right. and my water during the Brown Drake hatch. This is, this is a social event. Mm -hmm. This is to celebrate fishing, to celebrate yeah. each other, right? you know, and, and to help your fellow angler and to meet your fellow angler and hand a fly to somebody or, right. you know, I, I've been fishing the Brown Drakes for 31 years and my most memorable, you know, I've caught all kinds of crazy, awesome fish on the mm -hmm. Brown Drake. My most memorable experience fishing the Brown Drake was being downstream from the Point of Rocks parking lot. I had a big pot of fish and, you know, there's people all over. And this one girl comes walking up and she was with her friends and they mm -hmm. were all fishing and she didn't have a spot. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had just dialed into what they were doing and kind of left her in the background. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there, she's across the river from me and I can see her looking at me. And it's just like, you know what? Come here. Yeah. Stand right there across from me. Mm -hmm. I'm getting out of the water. Mm -hmm. These are your fish. Awesome. And I sat there for 10 minutes and watched her land two fish mm -hmm. and she was lit up. Mm -hmm. I don't know this person. I couldn't tell you her name. Right. I never saw her again. I just, but I got to watch her just catch, just so lit up, so mm -hmm. jacked to do it. Mm -hmm. That's my best Brown Drake memory was giving my spot to somebody. Right. And watching them just go nuts, and right? Just, just living the dream in South Central Idaho. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and that, and honestly, that yeah. to me is, you know, I, I've had a, a lot of people comment about. Um, sometimes you're mentioning spots. Sometimes uh -huh. you're giving things away. Sometimes you're doing that. And to me, it's about I want what people. I, I want people to have what I have, yeah. and that. I have purpose yep. in the outdoors. Yep. I have hunting, I have fishing, I have these hobbies that can totally help me reset um, my mind. No question. And it's uh, it's better than prescription medicine. Yep. Uh, it's better than all of these other things that people are having to participate in. Absolutely. And so to me, I'm all about 
how can I show someone yeah. uh, this lifestyle? Yeah. How can I give them a little piece of this and see what they do with it? Sure. And sometimes you'll you'll set those people up where, mm-hmm. I mean, she could that could be her path now. Maybe that yeah. could be her path where Maybe. she every single every uh, you know every weekend yeah. that's what she does to reset. Yeah. It's certainly a memory. Yeah. You know, if if nothing else, it's a memory. Yeah. To me, yeah. I'm I'm all for it. I want people to catch fish. Yeah. I want people to learn how to hunt. Yeah. And it I don't have to if someone listens to this podcast and takes my hunting spot somehow yeah. and figures it out, great. I yeah, can I'll, find I'll another. take it one step farther. Mm-hmm. If you come into Peekaboo Angler and ask me where I went fishing yesterday and where I caught that giant fish, I will tell you exactly where I stood and what fly I right. used. You want to go do this Bahamas thing that I'm about to go do, where mm-hmm. I'm going to go hike 20 miles down the beach. If you want to know where that is, mm-hmm. you want to go do that. I will tell you where to go, where to stay, how to do it. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's, yeah, sure. You got a secret, you got something in your pocket, mm-hmm. you got a hunting spot at the end of the day, you still got to go get it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, and you have to do it right. In you order have to, to do it right. Yeah. So. I'll tell you where I went mm-hmm. and I'll encourage you to go do it. Mm-hmm. You still got to get up out of bed and go do it. Totally. Right. Most <laughs> people aren't willing. At, they are in the moment, mm-hmm. but then when the time comes to go do it, very rarely gets done. The alarm done. goes off and they go, eh, maybe I'll show up an hour later, yeah. two hours later. Fish yeah. isn't there anymore. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't care if somebody's in my spot. I tell people all the time, fishing and guiding, that's a skill set. It's right. not a spot. Right. So if you're dependent on a spot as a guide or an angler, mm-hmm you're probably not that good at what you do. Totally. I hate to say it. <laughs> well, and think but about you, if someone is in your in the vicinity that you would like to fish, how yeah. many other places can you find within five minutes from where you're sure. at? Especially around here. Right. My gosh. Yeah. And everything's 20 minutes from everything else. Right. Totally. No problem. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no problem. That's I think that's why Peak Angler does good is because mm-hmm. does well is because my guide staff is the same way. Right. They share that information with each other. They share it with their clients. They'll share it with the general public. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a policy at Peak Angler. You you show up at an access point and want to give somebody flies, do it. I'm going to give you back those flies when you get back from your trip. Mm. You know, we 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 want to work with the public. We, we want to share our experiences. Right. Because why else are we doing it? Yeah. Totally. You know. 100%. Why else are we doing it? So I can right. look at myself on Instagram? <laughs> right. No. You know, I yeah. care less. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's go go and get it, people. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> at the end of the day, just go and get it. And, yep. and I'll help you every way I possibly can. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, if anyone's watching this and they want to come to Idaho, they should yeah. go visit you, Peekaboo Angler. Come see us at Peekaboo Angler. Yep. Yeah. For birds or for fish. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, my guide staff. Fishing wise, I have the best guide staff in Idaho, hands down. I'll, I'll argue that with anybody. Awesome. And I, I believe I it. have a very small staff. Mm-hmm. And these guys work together and they work hard. Cool. So really, really neat experience being out there on Silver Creek with Peekaboo Angler Guides. That's awesome. And, and this year, it. I promise you and I are going to go to Walcott. Yeah. To try to catch some bass Get with the fly rod. Bass thing going. Yeah. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you so much for coming. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. We're going to have to have you on again, especially if you ever have an experience, a story, anything like that, that pops up that you're like, I got to tell this in big fish stories. <laughs> Call me uh-huh. and come back on. We'll do it again. Yeah. I got a million of them. Awesome. Yeah. We could go. We probably only touched Miami. the surface. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. When I come back, I will tell you the Miami Heat dancer story. Yes. That's that's in the books. Awesome. That one hurts my soul. Yep. But I will tell you that story. Okay. Great. <laughs> Love it. And we'll want to hear about your trip where you're going to n- where no one else has been. That's true. We'll see, how, we'll that see how that out. is. Yeah. And that's boom or bust, you know? Take you, photos. We can add it to the video. Yep. All that kind of stuff. I actually had a, a, f- a friend mm-hmm. um, and I, he asked me about the trip. Mm-hmm. mentioned something about it and the first words out of his mouth and i swear to god he said that'll be great for the gram and great I said, for the gram. you're not coming <laughs> i knew you i knew i would be like oh you're out sorry yep. i haven't said a word about it since then he's out <laughs> that's funny that's awesome we got to do it for big fish stories then yes sir cool yes sir great i'll bring you a fish perfect thanks man thanks tyler thanks for having me yeah thanks for coming it's Appreciate awesome it.